0: Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the chief evangelist at every point. He's a marketer and content strategist by background who believes that the most effective way to connect with your target market is to get out of the building, and talk to your customers. To this conversation, he'll bring stories about the importance of authentically showing, not just theoretically telling, and of having a human, not just a logo, to reach out to and engage with. Jonathan Stevens, welcome to Chief Evangelist.
1: Thanks, Ethan, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. We had a really fun one uh, a few days ago in advance of this. Um, and I love a couple of the stories you shared with me, so I'm going to ask for you to tell them to me again and in more detail so everyone can learn from them, but we're going to start where we always do, which is the most important job of a chief evangelist. If you tried to capture that in one pass, what are some of the core ideas you'd share?
1: The number one job of a chief evangelist, in my opinion, is to take your brand, your company, your product, whatever it is you're you're selling or you're trying to I mean, you can evangelize anything, might not even be selling anything, but to humanize it, get people to engage with it on a personal level and not just a, you know, there's a brand behind everything. Maybe that's a company logo, a name, but that's not who we usually connect with. That's, that's a person. So as a chief evangelist, it's being that person that people would connect with personally on a Company level, product level, whatever it is that they want, you want them to be excited about. But they—they're they're not. You know, you think of Nike, you think of Michael Jordan, you think of all these great athletes uh, with the Nike emblem. You think of all these other brands with a person behind it. That's the—that's their evangelist. That's the person you connect with, and that's—that's that's what a chief evangelist should be doing: is becoming that face of the company, or at least spokesperson, in which people can connect to. And it could be small, it could be big.
0: Okay. Lot there. Let's, so I like, I really appreciate the humanizing and the emotional component of it, um, to play devil's advocate. Well, don't our marketers produce engaging content and don't our salespeople humanize the brand? Like talk about like the, the the benefit in your experience, um, of having someone free to do that stuff all the time.
1: Yeah. So I know some great marketers absolutely stunning at making content or doing like the numbers game of analyzing you know what works what doesn't Doing running ads all that they never want to put their face on the camera that's not what they do that's um you can be very skilled marketer very skilled salesperson but not necessarily the person who's out there all the time with their face that can be two different jobs uh so you know you can you can go into the you can go to marketing and sales, and, and and not have to worry about being that that person, because um, you can really dive into different aspects. But what's unique about then being that person? Why I think everyone, not every company, but most companies at one point should at least have someone as a face, is uh, what, like our own personal journey at every point was okay. Uh, we 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 basically are launching an idea that isn't quite productized. We're, we're working on it yet. Uh, we are we have basically an API for developers to, to build on. But in the meantime, we would just want to get people excited about the technology. It's called spatial computing. And so they get people engaged with that, talking about it, get me out at conferences, uh, doing podcasts, things like that, talking about it. Um, I first took the strategy of just putting out interesting content on our every point. LinkedIn, Twitter, our different avenues like that. And I was getting some traction, but it was exactly, let's see, a year tomorrow that I I switched up the strategy and said, you know, we're we getting some traction, but what if I just did it on my personal accounts? People will find every point, but then there's a person behind it. And it's, it's like someone turned on a light switch. All of a sudden, I'm doing content and People are reaching out saying, "Hey, I'd love you to come to a conference and talk." That never happened when <laughs> there was no one behind our brand. Um, people started reaching out and asking if I was willing to contribute to a an, an article for their their publication. Um, all sorts of reasons why I think they were reaching out is because before they didn't know who to ask for. It was just Every point, you know, who would you, and you know, I would never send an an email to info at every point asking, well, someone over there talk at a conference. I don't, I wouldn't even know who that would be. So putting me behind that brand, um, was was basically why I did that. And it's if I look at my 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 metrics today, um, I I think I did a successful job at putting myself out there and being that that evangelist and. It's, I mean, if if we just look at them out of 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 times we're being referenced or I'm on a podcast like this, it's just hockey sticked the moment I I changed from general branding to me as the brand of our company.
0: Super interesting. Okay, so we're gonna get into some detail on this this the stage process because it sounds like having a chief evangelist A, from what I understand. About spatial computing at every point. I know a little bit about it. I did some reading. It doesn't mean I understand yeah. <laughs> it. Um, you know, you're, the 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 company and the market obviously um could be characterized as as very innovative. Mm-hmm. New space, new ideas, new applications to maybe some newer technology. Um I love this idea that you've already expressed that you're still in the process of commercializing it. And right now, it's the idea of just creating some awareness and excitement to draw on a word you used earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Some interest in it because it's, you know, turning on the developer community is probably going to enhance the whole ecosystem in general. The company is taking a role in the rise of that market and you happen to be at the center of it. Because you were doing some of that work and just had this idea hey, what if I tried it as a person instead of a brand? So there's a lot there. I think I heard that correctly, and I'm I'm going to assume that I did by your nodding. Um, So give us a little bit more detail about, um, you know, take us back a year or even 18 months um, or even 24 months. Like what was going on at every point? What was the state of the market for spatial computing? Um, Just kind of set the scene for us a little bit relative to um, the need for evangelism.
1: Yeah, so a lot happened in the last two years. I mean, that's the speed of which tech moves. And back then, uh, I was doing a lot of just, we had an app on an iPhone that people could kind of check out our, our, our technology a little bit. It wasn't really what we're fully building, but just a part of it. And so we were just showcasing what people were doing with our app. I was showcasing some technology, but it was basically just showing like a video of, you know, a lot of video and images. Thankfully, spatial computing is a very visual heavy medium. So <laughs> it's, I it already had that blessing of being able just to have content at my fingertips all the time. But it was, it was just, yeah, showing like output of our technology, maybe put wrapping it around of, you know, here's a use case. It's interesting, but I wasn't there in it. And so that's, you know, I think it was engaging. A lot of people really liked the content, but it it wasn't it wasn't really purpose, uh, you' serving as purpose as far as, you know, like it goes out. And this is what happens with our content. It goes out, people talk about it, and then there's a million other pieces of content being put out every day. And before you know it, that content's like everyone's forgot about it. I might put out something that's interesting every now and then that gets talked about for a longer period, but that's 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 the speeds and feeds of today. And so now I guess what ha- started happening is even before a year ago, I had done a few just content pieces where I'm in it or someone's in it, and then it, it would get brought back up. They'd say, Oh, look, look at that thing that you know, some topic would appear on LinkedIn or Twitter, of the two main. Places I, I tend to put my content, and they would say, "Oh, oh, you know what? Jonathan did this interesting video. You should look at it. Um, it's on the EveryPoint channel." So, I would basically they would know me as the guy who did something around that. Versus, um, you know, I was putting out tons of content that would probably be relevant to a lot of conversations, but they wouldn't know who to reference. So for like, oh, uh, this company EveryPoint has something interesting, um, and so. Basically, um, as I started to see that, oh, wow, people are starting to talk about the work I was doing and becoming some sort of an- industry standard for uh, ways to do certain things, I realized I should probably be behind almost all that content. I should be just talking on camera or um, doing it under my own personal brand. So let's have my face with something I posted. And that that actually changed real quickly, too, because after only doing that for a few months, Uh, NVIDIA reached out and they asked me to be on their technical blog. I've been on their, their main blog. And there's a lot of other people working in the same technology, but their work's not showing up there because NVIDIA doesn't know who to reach out to. And so our platform got much larger when we have corporations saying, oh, look, look at this interesting work from this person at every point using our technology and their technology. And pretty soon it just kind of blew up from there for me.
0: I love the idea of NVIDIA reaching out because they knew who you were. I will also add a layer to it. And so feel free to spin off on your own thoughts on this. It's not just the human. It's not just knowing a name, although both of those help a lot. Mm -hmm. It's that you're demonstrating some amount of authority and credibility because you're doing the thing. Right. Yeah. And so, uh-huh. you know, it's one thing to have a byline on something and, you know, did they write it? Was it ghost written? At this point, we wonder, did a bot do all the core writing? Does this person know what they're talking about? Should we invite this person onto our stage or onto our platform or onto our show? And I'm just adding here and then I'll give it back to you is not only are you more approachable as a consequence and more relatable, you also have built in by doing the stuff on video, mm-hmm. demonstrating it, um, authority and credibility, which is um, especially in a new space, generally absent until someone claims it.
1: Yeah. Uh exactly. And uh I, I'd add to that, I was doing live streams, which um is, is about as vernible as you can get, right? It's like this is live. Things might go wrong. Things, things have gone wrong on them. Nothing that I can't work through. But then, actually, sometimes that was—I mean—that tend to be my most popular content is when I go live. I don't even edit this stuff at the end. I just say rewatch the recording because mainly because I just didn't have time to edit it, um, nor did I think people wanted it edited. You get some very hyper edited content, and it just feels corporate, mass produced versus. Hey, we're just hanging out with Jonathan for 45 minutes. He's gonna show you something in technology. I'm compiling code in real time. It might not compile correctly. It didn't, like once or twice. I worked through it and then realized, oh, okay, he's a human. Things don't just magically work perfectly for him every time. Like, and it doesn't, you know, because we had a lot of people always saying, Oh, I like what you're doing, but I it took me two days to figure out how to get started. Well, then they watch me do it and realize, okay, he doesn't, there's nothing magic about what I do. It's just I've been doing a little, a little longer, and so I ran into issues. I could troubleshoot it. They see how I did it, and then they start. Say, I got messages, a lot of personal messages after these live streams, just saying it's great to see you doing it in real time. And I had a lot of people say early on, uh, not a lot, but a few people say, I, yeah, "I think your tutorials need to be shorter. They need to be like four minutes long, two minutes long. They need to be TikTok style." Well. I, I disagreed <laughs> obviously doing an hour and a half live stream because I think people needed to see this new technology in real time, realizing it's not as scary as they thought it was. Um, and and that it, it does take time to do these things. Think, things don't take four minutes to magically output some cool, you know, spatial computing application, some you know, real time you see all these things like um, an example of spatial computing could be making a 3D model or it could be, recognizing objects in real time things like that well it takes it takes some work for that to work it doesn't it doesn't just click code bam works so i think that's it you know people get to know me and i think of joe rogan people will sit for three hours with this guy and as he interviews people and if they like the they like the topic they like the technology they like the whatever it is they'll they'll sit along with you for hours and and get to know you, and then you become the guy or the—I say keep—I don't like saying the guy, but the person in your industry um, to go to for this sort of content and answers.
0: I love it. You added on top of uh, credibility and authority, you added uh, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean to drop a bunch of kind of buzzy, soft-sounding words, but there's something real about doing it in real time. And I don't disagree with you. I feel like so much of, I feel like the more we take out what's real about some of this stuff, especially things that people don't quite understand or have some you know, questions or aversions, or perhaps there are myths or misunderstandings about these things. I think the more honest we can be in the presentation and it doesn't get any more honest than a live stream, um, the more uh, approachable it is. I think when we edit these things down, it's like, how does that really work? I mean, that's what a lot of people are asking, especially about new stuff. Like, no, no, but how does it really work? I I watched the two minute demo, I get (laughs) it, but how does it really work? And so then they wanna, because most companies aren't doing that, um, they want to talk to references. They want to talk to other customers. They go read reviews. they like, they do all these other things. So I love this idea that you're just front and center on it. Um, speak to me a little bit personally about spatial computing, like what is exciting or interesting? Like, cause to do this work, you seem like committed to it. <laughs> like, You obviously have to have some personal interest or passion or belief in its potential or, uh, or or similar, like speak to like what what's exciting yeah. about it to you?
1: Okay, so at the start, uh, when you when you intro this podcast, and you said, I you know, as a marketer, I like to get out. Not just marketer. If you run any sort of business or work at a business, you got to get out of your office. You got to spend time with clients or potential clients. That. Uh, my favorite, one well, of my favorite books is, uh, is, well, I think the old title is "The Four Steps of the Epiphany." Basically, like the handbook for starting a company, and they say the answers are not in your office. The answers are outside with your clients. You got to get out there. And so, I mean, ten years ago, we started spatial computing. Walk, walking around a stockpile, which is a pile of rock, with, with an iPhone, and we took a video and we uploaded it to the cloud. We took this video and turned it into a three D model. And from that 3D model, we could tell someone at a rock quarry how much rock is sitting in front of them. And that took like 18, 24 hours. But to them, that was absolutely magic. Because before that, there's a lot of licking their thumbs, waving their thumb in the air, some reckoning. to Maybe have a a big walking wheel tape measure sort of device. And just guessing how much is there. That was the best they could do. And at, at most accurate, maybe they're off 30%. Could you imagine having... $10,000, $100,000 worth of inventory in a pile and being at best within 20%, that could be hundreds to tens of thousands of dollars that they're guessing (laughs) all the time and and running their business. And so back then, even in 2013, when when I started this, just seeing that we could solve some real problems. And we're using that's like early, early spatial computing, 3D modeling, in an actual useful application. We do that under a company called Stockpile Reports. That's our, that's our first company we founded under the EveryPoint brand. And you know, just saying, okay, now what's next? And what's happened is technology has gotten so fast, that same thing that took 18 hours, 24 hours a lot of times to turn around. I'm doing it on my iPhone in about 30 seconds. So, wow. so just the fact that cameras have gotten infinitely better, Compute power on an iPhone or any of these smartphones nowadays is approaching what in like 2000, 19? I think 1994. The fastest computer is still slower than today's newest smartphones. So, like, just think of like the best computer in the world less than 30 years ago is not as fast as what's in your your pocket right now. So, just that all that things, all those things coming together, all these free tools that and Apple and Google have been giving us. Um, uh, means we can solve some real problems. And so I don't know what those problems are. So my, my job as an evangelist is just to show people what's possible and then get out there and see if there's anything that crosses with what they do every day and what I do, what I can do. And can we solve some real problems? Because there's no point, to me, there's no point in making technology if it's not solving a problem. Even if it's entertaining people, maybe a better way to do visual effects, that's still solving a problem. Or maybe it's something as cool as, I don't know, figuring out which rail car is leaking product at the bottom. That You know, these they have these put rock in rail cars and they drive all, they get moved all over the place, but they leak sometimes. Things like that, using spatial computing to do really boring, but really important things is really exciting to me. And so, now I'm trying to appeal to developers to say, you know, you know, your, you know, your company, you know, the problems you have, here's, what's possible. Now let's, let's, let's work together for you to build something to solve your own problems. Uh, we solve the inventory problem for a lot of companies. Now I want you to solve the logistics problem or the VFX problem or whatever it is. And um, I'm here to be their kind of their, their advocate saying, you can do this. It's not that hard. You saw me do it in a live stream. Now let's, let's build a whole experience around that and solve that problem uh and i think that that really that really does for developers they were really like that com- that component like okay not only is he the evangelist he also knows how to do this stuff so he can he can or me i can jump on these calls with them and i can work through a few things or if i don't we have even smarter engineers by far who can then you know guide them to where they need but um it's not this you know what do you call it um it's not a bunch of smoke and mirrors with us. We try to show them actually here. I'm going to show you a demo and you can download all this code and do it yourself. So um, I love this
0: idea of building the community through the developers, learning the use cases through the developers, getting out there and engaging the developers. I mean, this really is the essence of evangelism, which is getting people excited about new capabilities that they didn't know existed. And frankly, it reminds me of my earliest days at BombBomb, where we had this idea that video email and video messages were just a more personal and human way to communicate, but who's finding it? Who's starting trials? Who's buying accounts? When are they sending video? When are they still sending traditional texts like they were versus when they're sending video? Are they sending video in? um, Is this additive to their process, or are they replacing some of their other stuff? If they're replacing it, Is it an efficiency play? Is it an Mm -hmm. effectiveness play? Like all these things um, that were just completely ill-defined in 2010, 2011 with something that's now pretty practical. The most interesting thing relative to what I just shared um, in my mind that you have shared in this conversation is how fast that's moving. Because video messaging moved really slow, but it sounds like the particularly the compute power which is going to unlock probably use cases that you never even dreamed of
1: exactly and uh, uh we've gotten a lot of help at our company by by bigger companies who have unlimited funds to also educate people on what's possible uh, be it mark zuckerberg and his vision of the metaverse well that might not happen but he but he kind of opened up everyone's brains and minds and thoughts to okay, what can I be doing in 3d space and with avatars and all this? And yeah, well, that might not be here for the 10, 20 years. It got people who probably never cared about this talking about it or, um, you know, there's a bunch of other, I just think of like Niantic's Pokemon go, you know, got a lot of people out playing on their phones with augmented reality. And, uh, it, it it just all of a sudden, I didn't have to tell someone what augmented reality is. I said, have you ever played Pokemon Go? Or like, oh, or my kid has. Well, then you know what it is. So I don't have yeah. to go explain it anymore. Yeah, or and- tell me if this is
0: too <laughs> dumb an example. I'm thinking of like the basketball, hockey, football games oh. on the best consoles. They're like probably spatially mapping people and facial features and stuff so that they can create more and more realistic to the individual human being players in the games? Is that also in the uh, zone?
1: Actually, even better. One of the best uses of spatial computing I've ever seen still is today is putting that darn yellow line on a football field. Where's that first down line? Oh, yeah, uh, okay, that the amount of, I mean, I don't think people realize that it's not like a person at every time just drawing a line on the screen saying that's where the first down is. That is incredibly difficult with it to do. They have all these cameras, different angles. You have players on the field, sometimes snow, and it's trying to figure out where that line is. And then that line can't go over a person. It's got to go under the person. So the person occludes it. If you ever dive into the technology behind sports broadcasting, they're way ahead of most people just because it has to be like, it has to be ambient. You can't, you can't be like, Oh, that line looks weird. Why is it going on top of the quarterback right now? Like all that stuff has to just look natural. And so that doesn't happen easily. Uh, And that's, that's where I think we're all trying to skate towards is like all these, these, these solutions to solve problems, but also you don't have to work at it. It just kind of happens or it's kind of fun. I, I have these Ray ban stories glasses that I think it's in my, linkedin profile picture i wear they got two cameras and i love the idea of being able just to s- snap a button on the top and take a photo or record a video with my kids while i'm playing catch my hands are free and it should just be kind of ambient like that and i think of all the solutions we can solve by just having sensors and things like that that we're not having to you know, plot your phone take a photo upload it it could all just happen uh, yeah and so so
0: good i i your excitement for it is contagious, especially now that I understand some basic use cases. You had me at, you know, Pokemon Go. I was like, oh yeah, I do know that. My my son was way into that at the time. Okay, give me like, why, Chief Evangelist? Tell me a little bit about. Um, so, so now I'm going back into the into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you decide to start being Jonathan as much or more often as being this kind of generic. I don't mean generic. Yeah. a a corporate brand that people Mm -hmm. don't really know or understand in a new space, probably a pretty new brand name, even in places where you do have some momentum um, because it's, it's young. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it get formalized into chief evangelist? And um, what else did that change for you besides the title itself? Just get practical.
1: That's a good question. So at our company, we don't believe in titles, I think. We had we all have had these kind of, not all of us, but a lot of us had had some pretty squishy titles that could then, be, you know, you're in a startup, no one's doing one role, so they're doing multiple, <laughs> and so we just basically, uh, for the longest time, I was a solutions consultant because it means I could do most anything as a consultant. You could you can morph that to whatever you need, and uh, but. What happened was in a couple of years ago, we decided, okay, we've been running this stockpile business. We want to start building the developer end for people to build their own products. And I was tapped by our CEO and our CFO to say, okay, you're going to work, you're going to run the marketing for this, but not, we don't have a product. How do you market something you don't have a product for? You just have to market the idea of the technology and what's possible and get people excited. And so that's what I'm good at. I'm good at getting people excited anyways about things. So they they tapped me and uh, they didn't give me a title. Um, and I started just doing my thing. My first year of this, it was like, there was not much of a, uh, there was not many goals set for me, except for just see what awareness and excitement we can drum up in the world. And um, there was a point though, where it's like, okay, Uh, Let's start setting some more concrete goals, things like that, and figuring out, well, okay, what are we going to call myself really as this role? So I've been I've been just kind of running at this role for a while, and I spent time with our CFO looking at what I do, um, what I've been doing, and what certain titles are out there. And then to help get us a better idea, like what should my what should be my quarterly goals? Well, if if we could find other job positions like what I was doing. Then we could see what kind of goals they have, and then we could kind of work that way. And to me, it made sense. Like, hey, if I if I if I can find another job description, I can kind of probably see what kind of goals they got. Well, after probably a couple of meetings with our CFO, we realized, well, um, my job feels very much like what Guy Kawasaki is always doing. his you know, and so I was like, well, they call him a chief evangelist. We'll we'll find a role something like that. And it just ended up after probably a few months, just realizing. Actually, I think that is what we call me because that's what I do is what, he, you know, his, that whole entire chief evangelism he is, he has coined is, that's my job. So all of a sudden it became very apparent that's my job. That, and uh I I also cross between that and a developer advocate. Um, so I, I kind of run with both those roles, but really that's how it, that's how we landed on it. And our company, I mean, it's, it's again, I say we have squishy roles because uh you might be doing two or three things but uh this one felt very much exactly what i i was doing so um i just fell into it i wasn't i wasn't saying oh, i want to one day be a chief evangelist i just right that's what i did naturally
0: <laughs> yeah and, i love uh, it
1: guess so, what thankfully guy kawasaki came up with that name or someone did and uh i co-opted it hey thanks for listening to chief evangelist For so many reasons,
0: podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist-friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of Chief Evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, it's so interesting. It does still feel like, um, so Guy Kawasaki was our guest on episode six of Chief Evangelist. Uh, So if you're watching or listening, check out episode six if you want to spend some time with the, probably the first secular evangelist and certainly the one who popularized it. Um, He was at Apple um, Mm -hmm. as a product evangelist, I think, left and then got hired back by Steve Jobs. Uh, I think a year or two later as chief evangelist and then has since gone on to brand ambassador at Mercedes, uh, chief of, ch- chief evangelist at Canva. Um, it does feel like in, uh, pretty recently, we, uh, we had a gentleman on Ryan Collins who wrote his doctoral dissertation on tech evangelism. And I asked him similar, like, he seems like the first. Is he the first? Like, generally, yes. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the principles go way, way back uh, to the Greeks at least. Um, but in terms of what we're talking about today and what we're talking about on these episodes, like he is the touch point. I love that. That, uh, is a reference point for you as well. And, and I don't think anyone sets out to be a chief evangelist, also, although we have heard an origin story a little bit like yours a few times before, mm-hmm. which is I looked around and I just realized that's what I was doing. and so that's what we called it. So take us the next step. Um, what did your job description or task list or even goals like how did that shape up i mean because here's the trick i don't know that guy kawasaki had a job description and i get asked that job description question all of the time and based on having done i forget what episode this is going to be episode 20 ish um there's a huge variety just in that set. And so I don't know that there's one job description or set of responsibilities. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, so I still don't know if I would really consider I have a job description. Uh, I mean, there's many things I am doing all the time. Um, I have some goals set out under our even our Stockpile Reports brand where you know we run this company under every point. Uh, I have a set of goals there where I'm still kind of involved in. But outside of that, my goals—what uh, is signals of success for me as a chief evangelist for our company? So things that lets us know we're on the right track is getting invited on podcasts. It's a very interesting thing. Get invited on one, all of a sudden you get invited on like five. Uh, I think people say they either hear my podcasts I'm on, or they or you say something on when you're LinkedIn, and they say, "Oh, this guy does podcasts. He'd be a great guest." Um, I I can. I'm on. Nvidia's blog, you know, I'm just being referenced all the time now. Uh, and then I think the biggest one is our CEO. He will talk to executives at big companies and they will say, Oh, Jonathan is on my LinkedIn feed every day. Like every day I log in, I see his content. And that means I'm doing something right because that's what we want to be. We want to be that person, not in a bad way, but hey, they show up with good interesting content and so now i'm always thinking about what they're up to what are they doing to us that's what we just want to be on everyone's mind so when we do finally hit that point where we're out of beta or we have this really nice developer platform we want everyone on i can talk about that as well uh and it and it 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 won't be like who's this new person who keeps talking about this platform and so trying I can to hint, sell me something. Yeah. And I hint at it and I don't hard. We're not, a, I'm not a good at hard selling. So I'm better more of like, here, let me show you something cool. And then people will they'll find me. They will, they will come want to learn more about it. Um, and that, and that, that's the way. So I guess that's it. It's kind of like, it's like that brand awareness. How do you know your brand's getting more aware? I mean, that's where, that's probably my leading indicator. I'm doing what I'm doing well is being invited to speak on stages being on podcasts, being guests, you know, for writing different articles. And then, yeah, people just talking to your, you know, your coworkers saying, Oh, yeah, I've heard about them. Even during our hiring process, a few of these PhDs in computer vision will mention me in our hiring process. And it's like, well, yeah, I even have academics listening to me. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. Let's build that bridge really quickly. Um, undergrad. I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but like your undergraduate studies were like GIS, mm-hmm. um, geography, maybe some other uh, geospatial. Something, you had it maybe. right.
1: Ge- um, geography and GIS.
0: <laughs> okay, talk about that bridge into content marketing, or or was it that bridge into this idea? Of, I, talk to me about that. How did I get that. from like,
1: from yeah a science degree to <laughs> so? Uh, and they really help each other for where I'm at. I wouldn't necessarily say everyone should go science to become a evangelist, obviously. But, uh, what but it happened, depends
0: what you're evangelizing, right?
1: Yeah, I went to school for engineering, switched to geography, Got it was called GIS. It's kind of like the backbone layer behind Google Maps and all these other different things. Um, I worked for the government for five years. So I wanted to work on new technology, not the trailing edge, which I was at. And then I had this amazing opportunity to join a startup and the rest was history. I joined that. Again, I had that squishy role of uh, becoming a uh, solutions consultant. That way I could spend time with the client. I could spend time doing support. I could do everything. I'm a consultant. He does what he does. And so I did that role for a while. And we had at that time a marketer for a company doing marketing. That was great. I didn't know anything about marketing. I knew more about science and engineering and uh even from the first time I met my CEO, he always knew I was good at connecting with people because I would, I mean, I, I think we talked about the San Francisco Giants for a good half hour, or we even started an interview because I'm really good at just naturally picking up on things we have in similarity and talking about that first. So I went down that route spent a ton of time on our customer sites. I used to travel all the time. A uh, couple, two, three times a, a month, I was on the road. And our marketing team, was coming out with content and it just wouldn't resonate with me or nor did I think it resonated with our our clients. And so uh, I basically would start saying, you know, I think you should rephrase this or, you know what, you guys want to do like a a luncheon. You know, our customers are people who work in rock quarries and construction sites. Maybe we should just call it a barbecue because that's what they like. Right. And so like all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, I'm really good at messaging apparently to them. And I think it's just me channeling the customer's voice and then before I know what I was basically doing more of our content strategy just because I was I had become the voice of our client and our advocate of our client and so what better thing we could do than talk like our client, act like our client and so I, I was doing that for a while and so that put me on the marketing track somehow uh and I enjoyed it and then I actually joined a co-working space out of all places a small one I live in a small town called Salem it's the capital of Oregon, but uh, we had a small co-working space. It was like a bullpen kind of situation. We're all sitting in the same room and we had a bunch of marketers there. And I thought what they were doing was magic. And they thought I was doing magic stuff with computers. And so I just kind of merged those two and thought, well, shoot, if I could show more about the back end of what's happening and demystify computer vision and all these different you know, spatial computing to a guy who's crushing rock. Then I think we're on to something here. So um yeah, I mean my, my I would never say there was like a day where I said, "Okay, you have a new job title." I just kind of naturally moved that direction. like
0: found yourself and trending in that direction. It's so good. I mean, what you shared there this idea of using customers language and not in any kind of an artificial way. It's like no one would say this. People don't think that way. Um, those aren't the types of questions people ask like that, 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 um, marketing is not a put on when it's done really, really well. It's only a put Mm -hmm. on if you don't know what you're talking about.
1: And I've seen it time and time again, where we'll see companies that'll come into our space and they will talk tech, they will talk all sorts of things. And it's like, do you realize that our end client basically went into this industry they're in Mining, coring, construction, so they wouldn't have to deal with tech. And now you're coming in and saying, Look how high tech we are. It didn't it does not resonate. No, it's Uh,
0: look what problem we can solve for you.
1: And and also, I think what opened my eyes working at this co-working space and talking to marketers, and even our CEO who doesn't claim to be a, a marketer, but is naturally really good at it, is um that a lot of times we're not trying to sell solutions to solve like that apparent problem of I need to increase my ROI. It's more like I need to go home earlier so I can make it to my son's football practice in the evenings, or I really want to get that promotion. And this gives me a chance to show I can make a market at the company. Like those are the things that people are really, really wanting to buy. I think everyone thinks they sell to logic like, Hey, this is a logically good idea, but if that was true, um, pretty much everything in this room I wouldn't own because it was logically makes no sense to own most of these things because they're expensive gadgets. And like, you know, why would someone ever buy a Mercedes to get from point A to point B? Logically you buy the most affordable car possible, but we don't, we have an image we want to uphold or something, you know? So I think that's it to our clients figuring out like, what is that aspiration or what are those, what are those things that they really care about? And by the way, that's pretty much the same for everyone. They care about family and friends and, happiness and maybe getting some recognition and just selling to that, not selling to all these, yeah, these metrics and things. And, and, and that's what I just realized with being clients every day that, you know, we all kind of, we come from completely different worlds, but guess what? We all care about about the same things.
0: Pretty much. Um, So talk to me about this dynamic and whether or not it's alive for you right now. I mean, you're obviously, Having these conversations. The last time we met, you were out on the road. Now you're Mm -hmm. back home, surrounded by gadgets that don't logically make sense, (laughs) uh, because you could get those jobs done a different way, or maybe overpriced headphones. Yeah, (laughs) you know, yeah. So, so, um, you know, you're out and about. You're talking with people. You're engaging through comments, DMs, etc. You're getting this real voice of the customer. Uh, in a way that when you say it back, it just resonates because it's, it is the real voice of the customer. How much time are you spending, if any, kind of organizing these stories or examples or feedback and bringing them back into the company? Um, You know, sometimes we talk about that inside out, outside in dynamic Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're taking some of the core, philosophies or practices that the company wants to advance and bringing them to market, but you're also out in the market. And it sounds like you're pretty adept at yeah.
1: I hearing also, those
0: stories and turning them into meeting. Are you communicating those to other teams and other people internally?
1: Yeah. We're a small tight-knit company too. So I'm always talking to my coworkers and- oh, geez. How big, how many people? Well, uh, working like in the twenties for okay. like all the time, I think we have, you know, we have a bunch of contractors that put us more like 50, but- um, just thinking of we use Slack as our internal channel to talk, and I mean, I'm probably one of the most prolific posters on our Slack channels and also social media, so um, I'm constantly just re- talking about what I'm up to, what I'm seeing, what I'm doing. Um, I think there's some interesting things too, where I'll get voice of the market, but it's not always correct. Uh, what I mean by that is. If I look at all my content from last year that I posted, the most shared and engaging, I guess, content I put out there was all around augmented reality. But every person I actually talked to about implementing it in practice don't actually want it. It just looks cool online and they want to reshare it. Like, oh, look at that cool thing. you know. Uh, so sometimes the metrics can lie to you, right? Like everyone thinks this looks cool. Of course it looks cool. But that's not really what they want. They just think it looks cool. So they're going to repost it, comment on it. So it's kind of figuring out like, okay, what, 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 what is engaging? But they are also comments are more of like, oh, I need that. Or I want to do that, right? Or they actually reach out more than anything. The biggest indicator is not when someone reposts anything or even comments. It's when they direct message me and say, hey, I'd love to get on a call to discuss what I saw there. Um, that's interesting. I think that could help me so that's, that's when I get excited. And that's when I tell my client or my company, uh, I'm having these conversations around this sort of thing. And we're, you know, we also have a goals. We're trying to solve specific things for rail companies, you know, for counting pallets, things like that. So I'm always trying to test the market by showing showing examples of rail cars in 3d or doing these things. And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't, maybe the market's not quite ready yet. <laughs> maybe we haven't showcased it in the right way. So I just keep hitting on these themes and seeing what what also is resonating um so yeah there's almost like a real-time feedback i'm always getting i put things out i always looking at it i wouldn't say i have like this spreadsheet rodeo where i'm making sure i like here's all the content went out here's all these things it's more like i'm just i'm a content beast i'm always putting stuff out and i know what works in my head over time and i've i just tell our company oh you know what this is really interesting um but sadly my My top performing content has nothing to do with uh, what people really want.
0: Yeah, it's both. And I mean, well, so the most important thing is you recognize there's a lot of really thoughtful uh, and important ideas that you just shared there. Um, And this idea of I'm not quite sure, like, is the market ready? Are we not communicating it the right way? I mean, You're absolutely thinking about all of it the right way. And you're also approaching it the right way, which is, put it out there and see what works and i i also in general when we talk about um return on effort and we talk about you know how are we measuring success in the context of this podcast the one that always rings true to me is the one with Dan Steinman from Gainsight where he and his ceo put in place a whole bunch of metrics and measures and then they tried to correlate them to like real meaning in the business mm-hmm. and they just, at a certain point they just both agreed like you're doing well. We're seeing all these positive signs. Just keep doing it. And let's not waste important and valuable time because we do have family. We do have friends. We do have hobbies. We do have fitness. We like, there are all these other things. So like, let's not waste a whole bunch of, of valuable, valuable time, um, running a spreadsheet rodeo if we don't have to.
1: Yeah. Can I add one thing? I think it's interesting is, um, So I've been asked to speak at events that I didn't think was really our core audience. Mm, Good. Uh, I just spoke at one recently. It was the orange County VR. No. Yeah. Orange County VR, AR association. So like virtual reality, augmented reality. And I did end up talking to um, the the group, great group. (laughs) If you go to, if you're in orange County, go to the, go to their meetups, but I went and spoke at one of their meetups and I was like, I'm unsure but found out they had a bunch of executives that might be there or just people who are very knowledgeable in the space, who maybe be or even people we hire in the future are at these meetups. And so, I mean, I just, just decided, let's go, you yeah, know, why not? Uh, it's, it's Orange County from Oregon, not very far. I went and spoke and uh, I, learned, I learned probably more than anyone else at that event because there's all these people who, yeah, I don't really spend much time with, they do different things. They are all in spatial computing kind of technologies. And I met people who like worked for Lowe's Innovation Labs or, you know, some of these places. And they also validated my thing of saying, I don't see a lot of people on an augmented reality. And I felt like I shouldn't have asked around that at an AR augmented reality meetup. But a lot of them said, yeah, I don't think we really have the technology to the point where most people even want it. So it was kind of validating. So I almost didn't go. And then I came back with this all this intel for a company saying like, here's what you know. People are still battling. Even even the closest people to the problems can't figure this out. So we should probably not be really caring about it right now either. So it's like I always say, you know, even if you don't, if someone invites you to go speak at something as an evangelist, and you're like, I don't know, you'll probably learn something. You're gonna, or it's a chance just to hone your message on a group that's not the group you are typically standing in front of. Um, so. Yeah, super you know? interesting.
0: And I guess the only reason, the only point where you might start saying no is when you have three invites and two of them are uh-huh. very competing and whatever, and you have to make some priority judgments. That's a really, really good call. Yeah. And it just validates that quote I pulled from your LinkedIn profile from the intro uh, about getting out of the office, getting out of the building, getting out. You of the don't building. know what you don't oh, know. <laughs> yeah. So when you're when you're out and about, um, I'm sure people have asked you about your title. Um, Do you have any thoughts, like, you know, if someone's listening and they haven't hired or appointed a chief evangelist, but someone might be doing the work, or if someone's listening, they're like, I think I might want to do this kind of work. Do you have any thoughts or advice about um, the chief evangelist title and role? Um, How should a company or a leader be thinking about it? And, or how should maybe an aspiring evangelist be thinking about it?
1: Yeah, so I think nowadays, um, I don't know where I heard this quote, but every, every company today is a media company and whatever they do company uh, because that's just how the world works. I mean, press releases still go out, things like that, but they're just like a blip in the wind versus what what you can do through evangelism, right? So uh, I think every company should have someone do it either in full-time, part-time, something. The, the thing though is that person doesn't have to be the CEO. Probably shouldn't be the CEO if that person is introverted or has no interest in it. But there'll probably be someone in the company who maybe has already got like an Instagram following or really likes that sort of thing. And they are also really have to buy in the vision of what your company is doing and really be all in. You know, if you find that person, lean on it, try it. I mean, what's the uh, even part time? You can, I can do a lot in like 10 hours a a, a week. You know, I, I do a lot more. If, Devoting more time to it, but you can still just test the waters, see what happens, see if let that person just talk about your company and not on your social media channels, uh, your companies on their let just, just let them fly. And it could be on your it could be on maybe maybe you are a small shoe company and maybe they talk on that, but build that identity for six months and see what happens. Um, I don't think there's a downside. If anything, today's world, we're just looking to connect with other humans and uh it. You might just stand out of the crowd because now you have an interesting voice and let them let them be them. Don't say this is the minute you you a minute a company gives an evangelist talking points that they have to stick to, the minute it no longer feels authentic, that minute that content goes flat. And I've tried it. Like they'll say, Oh, we want to use these words. And I don't mind that they give me talking points. I just make them my own at that point then. Um and the minute you start using corporate speak, people just I don't know, they just doesn't feel right. It's just, so I don't know. I, I, that's not really good advice, I guess I said, as far as like concrete steps. But, um, if someone is expressing they want to do this, let them, I would say. If, I mean, obviously, can't just say go full time, don't your old job anymore. But, um, yeah, tone the water.
0: Yeah. I thought that was really good advice. It's this idea of starting small. It doesn't have to be, and perhaps shouldn't be the CEO. The CEO has other responsibilities, but we've also seen CEOs or co-founders that are very, they are the ones driving the thought, driving the experimentation, driving the kind of the market and the concept. Um, and they might be the right fit, but they, they but they might not be. They, um, they tend to be to the be most
1: a, passionate, you know, about yeah. the problem because they started, a they, they they started a company. So yeah, do that thing. So, but you know, yeah. So if they can embody it and and
0: express it and bring to life the, all the pain and anxiety, they brought themselves in anticipation of something way more exciting because it's not easy to start something. Um, I also want to draw attention to your, um, to the line you drew essentially between a spokesperson and an evangelist. Um, And someone reading the right words in the right order or saying the right things the right way. And I sh- should have been air quoting, right. Cause that's the difference between a spokesperson or even a traditional press release mm-hmm. versus a human who's out there getting messy, having conversations, watching code compile incorrectly. Um, Two different or,
1: skills. I mean, yeah. Some brilliant writing that's corporate talk or corporate, you know, papers I've seen, or, you know, it's just great, but it doesn't sound, it sounds more third person and less first person from someone. So.
0: Right. And so what am I supposed to do with that? How do I relate to that? Who do, yeah. I mean, there's just a difference and you're right. I mean, what I hear in your response there is that it's potentially both and not either, or, but, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to highlight your call um, that today people are really looking to feel some sense of belonging and connection, and an evangelist who's well-placed with authenticity, credibility, some degree of authority in a space where it's kind of lacking because it's so new can be super, super powerful. Anything else you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, I don't think you can hire an evangelist. Uh, I think that person has to already really be passionate about whatever that thing is, and also perhaps come from that industry for some time, uh, I know that I think you've had a guest who maybe are kind of new to whatever the technology is, but they're just that instantly passionate about it. That's great, but they got to have that passion and they have to like be somewhat knowledgeable. Um, I, you can't just like hire someone to do part-time evangelism for you. And they're like, okay, just learning about your company for the first time. Right. Uh, I totally. think it really, that will really also feel not quite authentic if so, if you know. Uh, but if that person is new to the industry, but also just diving in and learning with the rest of their crowd, power to them to be the evangelist if they're going to be like hey i really want to learn about this thing let's do it all together that might be the right person but uh they have to have that passion behind it well especially if it's a
0: brand new field where there isn't that you know trusted voice yet um coming from an adjacent field with a great degree of passion and curiosity can can go a long way okay winding down what is something that you're passionate about and educated about such that you find yourself evangelizing it in your own personal life this could also be what has someone close to you accused you of evangelizing too much in your own personal life
1: okay well uh it's this one is pretty easy and i'm glad i listened to your last your 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 um your other podcast i knew this question was coming (laughs) your other episodes uh so i evangelize street tacos as a health food and the reason why i do that is uh Season 1 of COVID, the first year, I was already working at home, but for some reason, working out more, I gained like 20 something pounds just sitting here and having cocktails in the evening, whatever it is. And uh again, I'm into drones and all those irrational gadgets and I took a picture of myself with the new drone and I said, "Who is that guy?" So, uh I love tacos, I love I love Mexican food I, and I realized i need to start eating healthy and portioned and so i started eating street tacos homemade ones you know the ones that are like this big you know they're like six inches across Not even that they're like five inches the little ones and i would have three street tacos different meat don't put any cheese don't put any oil in it and i lost 38 pounds in like six months just eating street tacos for lunch sometimes for dinner the same day uh you can you can mix and match i mean already here i'm evangelizing it right so you can yeah. you can do you can do shrimp you can do chicken you can do beef you can do all kinds of sauces make homemade salsa you can get wild with it um but it's all about portion control <laughs> you know you can, i mean how how much could you really eat if you could only have three tortillas and fill them with whatever meat and vegetables you want it's like you get pretty limited so uh i lost all this weight i was feeling great was running and lifting all that stuff and then uh, at my company, we we do these Monday morning meetings where the whole company jumps in on a on a call and we all talk about certain things. And I did a presentation about my diet, and I basically called it the Taco Diet, and I made a whole entire like spreadsheet and the whole entire menu diet thing. And so now at the company, every time it's like, oh yeah, did you know Jonathan lost thirty eight pounds eating tacos? And uh, so now I become the Taco Diet again. <laughs> and well,
0: that- even
1: even at home, like you know, like. People, like all friends who are like I'm struggling I'm like baby straighten tacos <laughs>
0: it's tell just, and you know what's so fun about that it just begs tell me more yeah right and you've done it you've <laughs> cooked it all different ways you've tried some things you have some hard rules around it but then you also have a lot of openness and creativity as well yeah done. if, I if you it. go
1: back through my my social media you'll see me mention it every now and then probably that in cats I talk about those two things a lot but um and that's also I Along with that, I would say if you're a chief evangelist, if you're human <laughs> and you're on social media and you're talking about business, I know a lot of people say like, oh, LinkedIn, that's, that's business only. Talk about your family, talk about your cats, talk about your tacos that you eat on the weekends, whatever it is. I think people are just sometimes, I don't know, feel like they don't want to see it. But in reality, I think they'll realize, oh, wow, Ethan likes this thing and I do too. I want to connect with them over that. So it's okay to have non-work things on LinkedIn as long as it's not like all you do. Um, And that's on all your social accounts. I think people should let their personality fly a little bit um, because again, people don't connect over just work. They connect over a lot of personal things.
0: Really well done. Well said. If someone wants to connect with you, where would you send them?
1: Oh, I'd send them to LinkedIn. Just look up Jonathan Stevens, um, that or Twitter, at John Stevens 85 I'm pretty prolific in both. It's not the same content. A lot of the same content. I'll do things different because both platforms let me do things differently. Um, But if you find me there, I get now more DMs than I get emails nowadays. So that's also an indicator that people are connecting. So take some time or some effort to actually DM someone as opposed to just comment on their posts.
0: Yeah. It's much more personal. Uh, He is Jonathan Stevens with PH, not a V uh, in Stevens. I am Ethan Butte. We would both love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing this journey. It's awesome. I enjoyed it.
1: All right. Thanks, Ethan. That was exciting.
0: That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.